The end of the year is fast approaching, and this year the Cooch Street Podcast is doing something a little different. We're inviting 24 creators of some of this year's best and most interesting books to join us for 10 minutes or so to talk about what they're reading now, their favorite holiday reads, what they had out this year, and what they were coming out in the year ahead. It's the Cood Street Advent Calendar, if that's your thing, or just a run-up to the holidays for book lovers. Today, I'm joined by the fabulous CSE Cooney. Hello, Claire. Hello, Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> How are you? Oh, I'm so I'm so well and so happy and excited to be here. Thank you. That's great. How is this mixed up, weird, post-COVID, not post-COVID, semi-COVID time treating you? Well, I feel like last night I went out to dinner with friends and it still feels like I've been under socialized. So it feels it feels both incredibly good and surprising at the same time and also a little anxiety, you know, all of that is like sure. that but I have been more socialized this year than the year before or the year before. And I feel like in the latter part of the year, all of that's opened up even more so that kind of I- I'm pretty introverted mainly I have a kind of a a stage like personality I would perform in front of 10,000 people but don't ask me to go to the after party afterwards <laughs> but even I was starting to get like lonely like oh I'm in Queens everybody else is in Brooklyn it takes <laughs> 90 minutes to get to Brooklyn seven and a half miles away ah oh, it's just not worth the train ride <laughs> and yet I was like I don't I don't like this, but oh man, dinners with friends, that's amazing. Yes, all these things which before the pandemic you would never have questioned or wondered about become a thing. And what I found is when I talk to people and I think about my own experience, the COVID period is this, unless you've had some great tragedy in your life or, or particular difficulty happen, which some people very sadly have, it's this kind of tapioca time. You know, it's like all the time kind of melds together and nothing really stands out. And so it can be really difficult to like focus and be productive and even keep track of the days. You know, has it been like that? Are you you feeling you're able to to work and function in this or is it kind of just meh? Well, it's so interesting. It's sort of been a series of hacks. You know, in 2020, we were both so busy that that momentum carried me through and people were talking about that languishing, all those articles on languishing started coming out in 2021. Um, but I hadn't felt it in 2020. And in 2021, yeah. it hit and I was like staring out windows or days would go by or I'd sit down to write and suddenly I would have cleaned a closet and it's three hours later. And I thought, I don't even know how I got there, you know, but through a series of like, uh, you know, game design. My husband's a game designer, among many other things. And there's such a series of interesting, like what you want to do to get into flow or um, the kind of the not stress, but you stress where things are just difficult enough to completely absorb your attention, just like the state of art where, you know, and so there's lots of different things I've tried. And a few of the things that have helped me through that tapioca time is um, there were communities that started like the silent writer's shift started in the morning and it's from 9 a.m eastern to noon always they everybody gets an email every day no matter what if they sign up for it they get it to a zoom link five minutes before nine you have to get it at nine or they'll shut you they won't let you in after and then they write right till noon and then they shut it down and it's silent nobody says anything but it's a shared space for writers but more it's a place to be at a specific time with other people doing work yeah so out of mirroring and if I can manage to do that I'm far more likely to write and to get anything done the more I sit down and write 
consistently, the more I'm likely to the next day even write more. But it's the matter of, can I get my butt in the chair by 9 a.m. and enter this space? I've been never used to write to music before. I couldn't do it. But I've been uh, finding all instrumental playlists on Spotify, covering my ears, lighting a candle, kind of like a casting a ritual space to be able yep. to all the hacks, you know, anything I can do to make it pleasurable and, and <laughs> do it tomorrow. So if you've, if you've been working, have you been reading? What have I, you been reading lately? And would you actually recommend it to anybody? Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. Jonathan, this year has been the year of Claire reading because I was a judge for the World Fantasy Awards. So oh. my, my book stacks are higher than my head. And I've read such things this year, such as I've never read in my genre, <laughs> like across the board. I It was so exciting and mind blowing. Like basically I'm surrounded by geniuses and everybody is doing innovative and fabulous things. Um, that aside, recently I started uh, Cassandra Cause short story collection, Breakable Things, where, you know, there is no predicting a Cassandra Koss sentence. You can't go in thinking, I know what this story is about. I can, I know the next thing that they'll say. I, you can't. And like, I have a kind of physical salivary reaction just to the sentences on a sentence level. Maybe I, sometimes I would, and sometimes I wouldn't be able to immediately tell you what the story was about. And that's more because I would have to read them like three times and then I'm like, oh, and then it like unlocks, but it doesn't matter because the first time I'm really just like these sentences. Oh my God. So, <laughs> and then I started Max Gladstone's last exit, which came out this year too. And yep. there's such an intensity of emotion, right? Like a wallop right from the beginning that I was like, okay, I can maybe do one chapter every few days because I have to think about, I have to think about it. I have to like recover. And then, so, but I'm, you know, it's such an experience, Max Gladstone. And then my friend recommended this epistolary fantasy romance called The Undertaking of Heart and Mercy. And she just kept, she, she writes for, uh, reviews books for NPR. And when she recommends something, I generally listen. And she's like, it's so, I really liked it. It's just weird. And so I was like, I'm it. And I, I read it and I, it, I didn't expect, I was just started it at night. And then suddenly it was 2 a.m. And I'd finish it. And I'd been crying <laughs> half the night. And I was like, well, I had a, I had a big reaction to this book. So Undertaking Heart Mercy. And also really quickly, this is the year of T. Kingfisher for me. I read yeah. like all her books and then I listened <laughs> to them all on audiobooks and um, especially the Saint of Steel series. But really like, I just, you know, it was like discovering Lois McMaster Bujold or Cage Baker, like those big things where you're like, I'll never find another author I like quite as much as this. And then no T. Kingfisher comes along. <laughs> do you feel the same affection for the Ursula Vernon books as you do for the T. Kingfisher books? I haven't um, jumped yet, you know, like, uh, and I know that they may be a different experience, but I, I, mm. I don't know yet because it's not always true, right? Like there's, there are books and, and the authors and their personalities versus their pseudonyms. There are sometimes very distinct differences. Mm. And so I'm looking forward to it because I've almost run out of taking for sure. Not quite, but I'm close. <laughs> but I definitely will make that switch. Oh, like the other person, uh, Sarah Monette, Catherine Addison is somebody I discovered yes. and um, read Goblin Emperor. And at the time there was nothing else. It was just yes. Goblin Emperor. And I'm like, what, why? And I was mourning. And then uh, Rich Horton was like, you do know that she's Sarah Monette too, right? I was like, yeah. Rich Horton, I love you. Thank you. And then I read, read the whole like labyrinthine Melusine books as well. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> and then two new Catherine Edison books as well. 
Oh my gosh. Yes. Cause I got to read uh, witness for the dead to blurb it, which is why I read goblin emperor in the first place, because my then editor was like, have you read goblin emperor? I think you'll <laughs> like it. And then, and then she, and then I, I think I blurb witness for the dead. That seems like what I did. And then I read the new one just like last week. And I, then I had to reread <laughs> all the other ones again. And it was one of those virtuous cycles. <laughs> <laughs> so let me ask you as a side thing, because I've done what you're doing now. I have been a World Fantasy Award judge. Is it changing how you read or how you think about things? Well, it was earlier this year. So that just, the whole site, so I just, uh, we just did the judge, yeah. the award ceremony at mm -hmm. World Fantasy. So yeah. what it did was, uh, it, it, you know, because concentration, especially during the pandemic, was all over the place. Mm -hmm. And because I, I was in the sort of habit of reading just for pleasure. So, and reading outside my genre, really, like I would read mysteries or romances or, you know, things that were very light, very easy, consume mass quantities and then kind of let it, let it pass, let it fuel a battery. Yep. But, um, but to do a survey of my genre, especially things like I don't easily read anthologies because it feels like I read a short story I get in this author's brain and then there's like a clunk, clunk and I'm in another author's brain and I'm like whoa how did I get here but even on a sentence level the patterns are so different that it's sort of like short circuits my brain but sure. you know I was like I'll be I'll do the intense reading in anthologies and collections this year and <laughs> You know what? Like I just, it was so rewarding. It was so rewarding. And I just got so much coming in structures that I never would have yeah. dreamed and uh, themes and language and uh, everything. So I, it just has really like, if not changed the way I read, it enabled me to read for a purpose. And more like, I felt a little bit like I was taking a graduate level course. And I felt like, I felt like suddenly just so honored all over again, but more so that I was even, how did I even get here? You know, and these people are all brilliant. I loved it. Well, look, you claim that during the, this pandemic period, you've been focused and busy at times and working hard, but I mean, do you have uh, you know any books out this year at all, or is it all just bluffing? <laughs> I have two books out this year. Uh, so that's nice. Uh, sorry. My little, I should have shut my email down and I was afraid of missing one from you. But anyway, I'll quit that right now. That's okay, uh, I have quit that. <sighs> Sorry. Hopefully you'll edit that out. If not, that's fine. Um, I've got a novel that I have worked on. I worked on for 12 years called Saint Death's <laughs> Daughter. And um, that came out with Rebellion Solaris. And uh, it is about a girl grows up in a family of assassins with an unfortunate highly allergic reaction to violence so she spent a lot of her childhood projectile vomiting nosebleeds you know parts of her going numb you know sick in bed raised by the family revenant retainer but what the allergy is is an early indication that should she survive the allergy she will grow up to be a necromancer her reaction against violence was so extreme she'll be able to raise the dead and it is more complicated than that as it sounds, but that was the core that kept me yeah. writing because I always thought no matter at what point of those 12 years I was ready to, you know, rip my own skin off was like, it's still interesting. It's still interesting to try to write a protagonist of a fantasy novel who cannot problem solve by violence. Mm -hmm. Like, and like all of fantasy in the genre is kind of against that. It's all about swords, yeah. you know, and sorcery. And, and she, if she is near violence or she does it, she gets like an echo wound, like a splashback. Yeah. She will yeah, yeah. have it done to her. So, um, so it was really fun to sort of fun and challenging always. And 
keeping in mind always what has come before to navigate that as a book. And, and I have footnotes because <laughs> I love footnotes and that's not everybody's thing, but I just, you know, doubled down at one point had cut a bunch. And then I was like, no, it was my joy. And put them back in. And thankfully I got an editor who loved footnotes. So she would give me like all caps exclamations was like, Oh my God, the footnote. So yes, I loved, I loved writing that. And then the, I had a collection come out too called yeah. dark breakers with mythic delirium. And mm. it's the same world as I had a tornavella come out in 2019 called Desdemona and the deep. It's that yes. same world. There are characters like, you know how like in one book, one character will have a cousin and then in the next book that cousins the protagonist it's very much like that there's <laughs> the three novellas a novelette and a short story and they're all in this world where um uh, the seafall is the city and it's loosely based on newport rhode island and there's a house called breaker house loosely based on okay. the breakers and it's a world where the human world and the next world down the gentry world like fairy the fairy world sure, and sure. then the goblin worlds are sort of stacked and they're the boundaries are pretty closed at this point in that history, but there are places where the boundaries are fluid and Breaker House is one of them. It exists in all three worlds. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's the interaction between the worlds and the, the citizens of those worlds and how they still affect each other and um, yearning towards more openness and fluidity. That's Dark Breakers. Now with Saint Death's Daughter, if you've been working on it for 12 years, it must have been something that you, I mean, because when I talk to people who work on something for a long time, it tends not to be constant immersion or connection with it. Right. In and out of it, they work on it for a while. And unless they are, you know, deeply troubled, they can't keep doing it the whole time. You right. Know, people I wonder about. But and I'm kind of curious, is there a point when you look back on the evolution of St. Death's Daughter where you, you pass a curve and you're into it and it finally comes to assemble and you know what it's going to be and you can get it finished to the point of the manuscript you end up delivering or is it just something that accreted over time well i would say like normal would be four drafts but i also started it in my mid-20s where i was still learning how to write and so sure. by the fourth draft i was i think that it had become in essence what it was that's the point where i met carlos and he was on the fourth draft of his current novel and you know suddenly to be in a deep and interesting friendship and then relationship with a english professor phd genre writer um like was a big level up and at the time i'd also been you know at fourth draft fourth draft i thought oh it's good i was shipping it around to um potential agents and got some sure. feedback from an agent and feedback from Carlos that mapped and matched. And so I was like, Ooh, I have to do a major revision. So like that lift from fourth to fifth draft with new influences and being older, having had a collection out, you know, and then, and then the next step was a different agent when he got it, gave me feedback. He's like, before we can ship this to publishers, uh, let's, let's hear some, I had some, a few little thoughts. Well, me, that takes, you know, two years, you know, and so it was like two significant drafts to sort of get it or understand it. And then it went to the when it finally was accepted and loved, loved. But the editor was like, we need to uh, there's a few things we need to address. And that took me another year, you know, so like toward the end, it was much closer. It was what what it was supposed to be, except for significant structural revision. It may be like changing one thing, but one thing in a book that large, it's like pulls a thread out in the middle and then sure. you have to, sure, sure, sure. because any, 
any sentence after that could have been affected. And you don't, and, and unless you like do that, that deep revision, you don't, you don't know what you might've missed. And then there might be an inconsistency yeah. and, and uh, a structural inconsistency, not even just a sentence, but also a sentence and inconsistent. Well, I suspect that sort of segues into our next question somewhat <laughs> naturally, I hope, which would be, is what do you have coming out next in the world? And given that I know that Saint Esther's daughter is part of a trilogy, <laughs> I'm assuming I'm making an assumption here. Would I be right? Well, Saint Death's Herald is in the writing right now, so it, it's not going to be the next thing that comes out, but it okay. is being uh, actively written to the best of my ability. So that's <laughs> been really fun. But yeah. what's coming out in February is it's not like a huge splash or anything because in in, in a way it already came out. In 2020, of course, in the middle of 2020, Mike Allen put out a anthology called A Sinister Quartet. And we had kind of conceived it, we had initially conceived it as he had a novella, I had a novella. We were going to do that sort of like put two novellas in a book back to back, sure, like yeah, those yeah. old job paperbacks kind of thing. And then we were like, oh, well, let's make it a quartet. And, I, and he had a friend with another novella and I had a friend with another novella. And we sort of, and they were all dark fantasy or horror. So we let's put it all together and have four novellas. And then I overwrote mine. And so it ended up not being a novella, but 65,000 word short novel. Um, mm -hmm. And it came out with a sinister quartet as a horror book in the middle of 2020 when nobody wanted to read horror. And, sure, it, sure. Was, it, and, it, and it was a small press anyway, and it's sort of deliquest. Um, and that is just as it as publishing is, it may, you know, whatever. I am still proud of it. I love the work in that book. And I really loved mine. So I'd approached Mike. I was like, well, Mike, I was thinking maybe, I don't know, I might ask if I can just, you know, put this out as a standalone ebook or if you want to do it. And so he was so gracious and he got a new cover artist who did these cool, wow. like internal, um, kind of chapter by chapter, small illustrations. Yeah, yeah. It's gorgeous. So we're putting out the twice drowned saint with a subtitle. Um, Oh no, it has a long subtitle and it just left my mind. Never mind. But it has a like it, it goes on for a page. It's great. Um, and it is uh, the Twice Drowned Saint will be coming out as a standalone, slim little, like the shortest novel I ever wrote, <laughs> uh, novel in February at Boscone. And I'm very fond of it because maybe because it was meant to be a novella, it really is quite uh, tight. It has a structure that I'm very proud of um, because I was experimenting because I was doing something I'd never done before. <laughs> uh, it's in a world I really like and it's bizarre and it, you know, it's maybe a dark fantasy bordering on body horror, but it's, it also has some cool stuff about film and very weird angels like monsters, monster angels. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I, I, yeah, I love it. And so it's coming out <laughs> soon in February. <laughs> and has that been revised in any way or is it, is it exactly the same text that appeared back in 2020? I would, I, so when the first, when he first put it out in the ARC, I had felt, uh, in the end of 2019, I wrote it in like three months. It was like three drafts in three months. And the ARC went out without quite a copy editor. I just felt like it needed one more. I was like, oh. And when it went out, I had the kind of like vaguely ill feeling that maybe I'd put something that wasn't my best work out. But between then and it coming out, I got to revise it. And then since then, there was a, there like it was a new copy editor hired and I got to go over it again. So it is, I say revised, but not not significantly changed. But I'm much happier when I read it. I read it. With, I approached it with a little dread, and then I was surprised and happy with it, which oh, was good. a great feeling. It was a great surprise. So, so remastered, not remixed. Yes. <laughs>
It would be very guess, difficult to remix it because the, the structure is so so specific. And with, I mean, obviously, you know, you learn things whatever you know, piece you write, and you you're talking about how you like you're you're, you're confident you really like the structure of uh, the Twice Strange Saint. To segue to the, the this next thing, I mean, with writing a trilogy, that must be a learning curve all of its own because you have the thing where you spend twelve years writing. The Saint Saint Rand's that's Saint Death's daughter, and then like mm-hmm. every band who ever recorded a, a debut album, you have to do another one in twelve months, not twelve years. Yeah. So it must be kind of like ah, a bit, is it? Well, yeah, because so so my my editor who loved it and who had acquired it left right before Saint Death's daughter came out to pursue happiness in her dreams. So very very happy and pleased for her. But I I I lost the connection of somebody who I knew for sure adored it and wanted it to be its best self. I got a great editor who's one of the senior editors at Solaris and he's very courteous and darling, but also that I had that just that doubt of like, would he have liked it? Would I would have been acquired? You know, that sort of thing. And I, I think so many things are Solaris puts out so much and so much amazing, great work. Um, and we were waiting on like, I guess, you know, numbers or all the industry stuff. And I was tugged my agent's sleeve. I'm like, should I start writing the next book? He's like, let's just wait. He was very laid back on it. And then like a few months passed, should I start? He's like, oh, we'll just, we'll just wait until the first quarter. And then in July, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to start it. Like, I just feel like I need to. <laughs> the last one took me 12 years. So Carlos and I had decided to take off all July just to write because he was like, I, I feel like a, a whole summer could go by and I, I won't be able to write and then it'll be the semester. So we did that. We did a, a staycation we committed to nothing. It was all July just for writing. And I wrote 20,000 words and an outline. And so did he on his book. And we were very proud of ourselves. I sent it to my agent. And my agent sends it back with commentary that was mostly like line edits. But the deeper commentary was the first book starts out. Everybody's dead and they're about to lose the house. Stakes are really high. The stakes just need to be higher. And when I knew what to do about that, I it was a complete vision. But that moment where the book should start, where the stakes are high is right after the 20,000 words I'd written. So like all of <laughs> July, while useful and necessary, was also like, n- is now n- not a part of the book anymore. So it was a start over. And there's like, yeah. oh my God, maybe this one will take me 12 years. But <laughs> the, the good news is the world, the world is established. The characters are there. The, my, I think my challenge in this one is they're not in the same land. So it's like, it's like, yeah, a world can be infinite, like Rebecca Solnit's infinite cities. So they're not in the same land. So there's a lot to do there. Uh, the characters are further along than they were. It's not a Bildungsroman anymore. You know, yeah. she's in her twenties. She's in her power. And so to keep her powerful, like to keep in mind, she's a powerful creature with agency, not a like a young confused thing anymore but also like to keep her human and to keep her what is lovable about her and what is and her and to, to like mind her flaws and dig into them a bit you know like all of that work is still it's still super interesting and and but and but I think at least voice wise I know how it's supposed like I have the sort of sound of it in the back of my head I just have to match it to the page and that's sure. a matter of drafting that's all pleasurable I just want to be faster. That's mostly what I want to say. Well, when people hear this conversation, that we're going to be well and truly into the holiday season. This <laughs> is coming out as an advent calendar. Yes. And when you realize that neither Gary and I were really clear on what advent was, that tells you an awful lot. Um, <laughs> so one of the questions we're asking is, do you have a favorite holiday story 
or a book that you particularly like to read at this time of year? I have a few things that I'm looking forward to. Also, I want to say Advent, you know, I grew up Catholic, so in my head, it means a certain thing. But my friend was talking about getting Advent calendars for like D&D. And I was like, Advent calendar? (laughs) So like, I could feel my face tilt like a puppy. And she's like, yeah, adventure calendars. And I was like, oh, so this is like our December adventure calendar is how I'm thinking of it. Um, So two things this year, Carlos, my husband, Carlos Fernandez, the Portobello Prey Award winning author of Sal and Gabby Break the Universe. But he this year was asked to write for Marvel. So he got to write a short comic for um, uh, uh, America Chavez and recently was asked to write a Miles Morales comic specifically having to do with Noche Buena, which is the 24th of December. And Miles is like, can I join my family's block party for Noche Buena or do I just save the city instead? It always needs saving. And it's coming out with a Marvel Infinity. Uh, so it's like one of those Infinity Scrolls, which was okay, a really yeah, yeah. cool structure for him to write. And uh, I just love he, watching him write comics like this new medium. He gets very bright eyed and yeah, ocean-sailed. Yeah. Um, so it is a very like one of those heartwarming holiday stories, and I'm looking forward to see it burst in upon the world. It's called 43, and it's coming okay. out on December 24th, December 24th with Marvel uh, Infinity, Marvel Infinity. And then the other mm-hmm. thing I'm really looking forward to is last year I discovered M. Rickert, Mary Rickert, with the Shipbuilder yep. of Bell Ferry, which was so amazing. Like I feel it staining me still. Like, I just have to pause and think about it, and then I get like the full body thing. But M. Rickert has a book out this year called Lucky Girl. I think it's a novella, and the subtitle yeah, is. is How I Became a Writer, a Krampus Story. And we love Krampus in this house. And so I feel like it would be very cozy and probably chilling to read this M. Rickert story in December and just kind of snoogle in and be terrified and then be stained for the next three years with M. Rickert's incredible, layered, subtle, nuanced, and and evaporating prose. (laughs) So it'll be a dark and spooky uh, holiday season in the Cooney Hernandez household this year. Yes. The Hernan Doonies. We're actually like just cupcakes. We just like surrounding ourselves with like, we have somebody gave him a baby Krampus, like holding a bottle. You know, it's that sort of thing here. It's all rubber chickens and Krampus figurines. Well, it sounds wonderful. I have to say, thank you very, very, very much for taking the time to talk to me today. I've genuinely enjoyed it. And I hope that you and Carlos have a wonderful holiday season. And I hope you have a wonderful holiday season. Have a wonderful time. Thank you so much. Don't worry.